Yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast. Obviously, you've been with us for several years at this point. It's been a, time. a huge journey, lots of ups and downs to get to this point. Gaining velo, losing velo, you know, figuring out your command, pitchability, um, and ultimately getting to this point where you, you just signed with the Giants. So first off, congrats. Appreciate it. I uh, appreciate you being on. Um, but maybe first take us through a little bit of your background um, and how we, you know, first met and, you know, in Georgia, trained together, yep. you know, way back in the day. Like, take the, take the listeners through a little bit of that background. Yeah. So kind of high school, I think I was just a good athlete, basically. So competed in baseball for that. Um, going into, or actually, winter of my senior year, I met Casey and Kyle, who had MPH Star Academy, who kind of just introduced me to the new age of baseball in terms of pios, pull downs, bands even. Like, I kind of was just like a arm circle guy to get warm up when high school and then I met them and kind of learned about how that's actually a way to try and build velo. Um, obviously at the time you, Cohen, Gabe were there kind of that summer I think and so that's kind of when I ran into you. And then I mean always obviously at that point you were one of the only guys I knew that threw really hard so that was kind of a cool thing for me. And then um, sophomore year obviously of college I ended up getting my surgery. And that's kind of what I think brought me. You were the only guy at the time I think I knew that had that surgery. So I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Baggett was obviously a big advocate for y'all. Yeah. And which, which surgery for the people who aren't familiar did you get? I had a partial repair surgery. So not the full UCL tear, I had the partial tear. And uh, so you had that the only person I knew. Went to the same doctor down at Birmingham. Um, so rehab, I reached out to you, we're like, hey, kind of finish the rehab. Once you get back to throwing, reach out again and we'll kind of sign up. And that's when I started, that would have been 2018, 2018 yep. so, 2019. So regarding that surgery, um, because a lot of people, a lot of pitchers at some point, especially once they start throwing 90 plus miles an hour, will have some sort of elbow discomfort injury at yeah. some point in their career. Like eventually that will usually happen, whether it's a minor flexor thing or it becomes a UCL sprain or you know full UCL tear. Um, what, what was your experience in, like as far as the initial symptoms there and then in, in evaluating your options surgically? Because were you initially under the impression that like, hey, TJ is the only option or how did you did you only know about the primary repair being an option because of my story because of you know our connection right. um, take me through that process of how the injury happened and then how you ultimately settled on getting a primary repair right. so it was summer going into my sophomore year throwing live with Casey and Kyle we were out there at home plate just trying to get some live at bats and ripped a slider and just all of a sudden didn't really feel good I was like hey I'm gonna be done for the day I went to a local Petrie City ortho, nothing to do with shoulders or elbows. It's like, hey, can I get an MRI? Came back and I think just not being a specialist is like, hey, you have a little strain, kind of the traditional thing of like, hey, I see a forearm strain, take six weeks off, come back. Took my six weeks off, came back, started throwing. Fastball felt all right, breaking balls hurt really bad. The trainer at school ended up shutting me down again. Was like, hey, let's take six more weeks off, come back. Took six more weeks off, came back. Still did not feel good. At this point, velocity was like way down. Um, I mean, I was 90, 92 maybe, and so I came back, was like struggling with throw balls at the eight. So then at that point, I think I knew about the surgery because of you. So I reached out to Dugas and was like, hey, can I send you my MRI from six months ago at that point, really? And can you look at it? He was like, yeah, very obvious partial tear. So I come in, I'll basically evaluate you, tell you what I think, and then basically when I open you up, I don't know if you've torn more. I'll, when I open you up, I'll decide basically, hey, we need a partial, or hey, we need a full reconstruction. Luckily, ended up only needing a partial, was able to go through that. Um, 
But yeah, I would have had no idea. I would have reached out to any elbow surgery probably and gotten a full reconstruction and just done it that way if I didn't know just that through bag and through you that that yeah. was an option for me. It's such a common presentation and and the history as far as like what you went through. Like we've seen so many athletes with the same uh, same issues that come to us and they're like, yeah, I've had this elbow stuff on and off. I've tried rehabbing it. I've tried resting. I've tried a PRP shot. Um, I was diagnosed with a flexor strain. Um, it's really tough for a lot of athletes when they're, it's in that gray area where it's not a full tear. And unless you're going to a real specialist, they don't necessarily always identify that on MRI. And it, it can just be tough on an MRI for them to right. exactly know. Um, so a lot of times what I will recommend guys do, if it's kind of a gray area, the symptoms do match a UCL sprain but it's kind of ambiguous on the MRI is like, hey, maybe go get a diagnostic ultrasound. That's another way to evaluate yeah. truly what's going on. Maybe send your imaging to a couple like real specialists, uh, you know, in the in the area that you're in, not necessarily just the guy down the street. And that's how you can really get a, a more clear picture of what's going on. Yeah. And then once it, it is clear whether there is a UCL pathology or not, it's like, hey, your options aren't just TJ. Right. Like that's what everyone seemed to think until, you know, maybe now at this point, it's a little bit more well known, but Back in 2017, 2018, 2019, even like most people were not aware that a UCL primary repair was even an right. option. So, take me through how long did it take from the point where you did get the surgery till you were 100% um, when we started working together there? Right. So, I got the surgery January 31st. And I think about four months later was when I was able to, like, I can work out, I can do mobility stuff. So around it, maybe even sooner than that. And so that's about right as I was able to start doing stuff against when I reached back out and we started a program to one, hey, let's look at my mechanics. And let's just try to build on a healthier path at the same time, like lifting, get my lifting right. Like, hey, let's gain weight while we have the opportunity to. Um, so we started that and that was leading into Winthrop, which is where I was going after my junior college. Um, I think as soon as I got there, I got really greedy and was just like, hey, like, I'm throwing kind of hard. Let's skip this next phase, which is obviously against what I was told from you and even from like my trainer was just like, hey, I feel good and I really want to compete. It's been such a long time since I played baseball. And so I think I kind of rushed into that, started dealing with the same thing. Forearm was a little hurt, bicep was a little hurt, extension was not only back. Um, that's when I came back and started talking to you. It was like, hey, I'm sort of dealing with this stuff. And I think that's just because I was rushing into it. And so we addressed that. Um, came back that season, actually, in the spring, was able to play. It was kind of a 87, 89, top 90. Like every once in a while, I can run it up to a 91 if I was in a short inning stint. But I think that was the same thing. Like instead of taking the rehab that you addressed to me and that kind of other people addressed to me, I was like so eager to play and just so eager to kind of just get back out there that I didn't take the time to properly hey, let's address my tissue, let's address my extension, let's address my mechanics, my mobility, everything. I just wanted to play. So my video wasn't all there. Um, COVID obviously ended up shutting us down. And after that was like, hey, now we, who knows how long we have. Let's address and let's kind of, I don't want to be an 87, 89 guy. I don't want my college career to end and then me go and baseball is it for me. And I think at that point in my career, I kind of knew like, hey, I love this game, but I don't have a career and I can't be an 87, 89, like bad command guy. And you had some reason to believe at this point that you could throw harder than that, right? You would touch, yeah. you would touch harder in high school. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, for you is almost more like just putting all the pieces together mechanically and even, yeah. even mentally. It's like something, something just isn't adding up at this point. Like Correct. why am I 87, 88, 89? Like you take me through that. Cause were you feeling very like, were you feeling off mechanically? Were you feeling like just something wasn't clicking 
or were you just feeling weak? Like, did you know that something was wrong or were you like, hey, maybe this is like all I have in the tank? How did you know like there was another gear in there? Well, freshman year I had hit bigger numbers before I had been a, at least sit like one to three guy every once in a while, same thing, bullpen, I could go get a four probably. And that's when my training and the summer going into when I tore it, it was just like, hey, there's more there. And then when I came back, obviously it was like, sure, I was competing and stuff like that, but I was an adrenaline junkie. I love the big number. I love chasing the velo, stuff like that. And I knew that one, I had been it before Two, like, I never felt good throwing the ball. It was kind of like I pitched and like, I just pitched cause I wanted to play, but I didn't feel good about what I was doing. Breaking ball didn't feel good, fastball didn't feel good. So I think after that it was like, hey, I know there's more in it for me. I'm a good athlete, I'm strong, like I'm pretty mobile, like something's just wrong. Like I should be throwing at least 91, 92 like I used to. And so that's when COVID hit and came back, obviously. Uh, I had Cody right next to me and we were kind of same there. Um, below going against each other and so that made it fun. I had you back in my corner, hey, we have time to fix this and that's where we kind of started our remap project and obviously took off from there, so. Yeah, I think a lot of pitchers when they get in that, that rut, they, you know, they want to just keep competing and competing their way through it. But actually for us and for you specifically, like COVID was actually a blessing in disguise because yeah. it was a time to actually take a full step back, you know, look at, look at all the pieces in front of us, like put it all on the table. Like, what do we need to do at this point to rebuild what's right. going on and if you had had to continue competing through the summer through that season like i'm not sure that anything would have changed at that no, point we would have had to just kind playing. of you would have had to compete with the patterns that you had but we were able to take a step back say look your arm's moving really slow you're tipping really uphill uh with, the, with that first move the pelvis is tipping uphill you're getting nothing out of your lower half and as a result your arm's taking over and because your arm's taking over it's moving you know slow as molasses so we need yeah. to we need to figure out how to turn your arm on right and so i remember like at that point, I didn't know what you were necessarily capable of. I was pretty sure like we could go get you back to 93, 94. Yeah. But we, I told you like we were really going into, you know, uncharted territory at that yeah. point. So we're, we're going to turn the arm on, then we're going to backwards chain that into the lower half, make sure you're rotating instead of just falling down the mound and pushing the arm. Yep. And then add in that aggressive forward move, that hinge, and then put it all together and just take plenty of time at each step to add right. one variable at a time. So. That was all your vision. At the time, I was like, you were like, I remember walking. This was right before everything kind of shut down. We weren't allowed to come in. Walking through the office to leave, and you were almost laughing. Like, your arm moves so slow. Like, I don't know why your arm moves so slow. And I remember, right. I, like, I laughed about it. Like, it was friendly criticism I knew. But I was like, hey, like, riding home with Cody that day, I remember I was like, hey, like, it's honestly a good thing that, like, he sees something such a big flaw. Like, that means there's so much more for me. I think that excited me. And that's kind of what bought me in the process is I knew that there was so much more for me. And so it made showing up every day easy and yep. made it fun was I knew that, hey, it's not like I showed up and you're like, hey, I don't know why you're not throwing slow. And me just coming in aimlessly training every day. I knew that I had a plan. And like you said, all these different steps I eventually went through at the time, it was just like, hey, let's get the arm on plane and, and let's start doing that. And that was step one for me. And then obviously after that, you were able to address, hey, the next step is this. So I think you saw this master plan and then made it really easy for me that I was like, hey, here's this one step and you've always done a really good job of, I'm not gonna let you think about more things. Like, this is what I see, let's fix this, then let's worry about something else. Right. And I think me being like, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong and I wanna analyze everything and I would confuse myself if I didn't just address that one thing at a time. So that was a really big help to me, I think. Yeah, I think for you, um, 
it's really helpful when an athlete comes to you and they're just like ready to buy into whatever you you tell them yeah versus when they already have all this you know history and like they're kind of resistant to it but like you were at the state of like look i need help like nothing is working right now we need to figure this out right and so that allowed us to really just set the stage for a plan and it wasn't like i was just implementing a plan with no feedback from you like at every step of the process it's how does this feel how does this feel what are your thoughts what are your thoughts like let's look at this video together let's look at that the outcome like let's look at these so we were we were going through that methodical plan together on a, on a journey together it wasn't just me telling you top down this is what you have to do but you came into that process yeah already having buy-in and trust that there was going to be that reciprocal relationship no um specifically regarding your arm like you know one of the things when I, when I see an arm like i almost imagine like if you look at like a fan an overhead fan when that fan's going pretty slow like you can almost you can see the blades yeah. right but when it's going fast like it's a blur yeah when a guy's arm is moving fast it's a blur when you can literally see the arm moving through like from peak from layback to internal rotation to bar release and you can like literally see his arm moving right like you literally see the blade of a fan that's a sign it's it's too slow so for you it was like very clear like okay you're missing the arm speed component yeah where is that coming from arm speed itself isn't just from the arm but it's it's a combination of you're actively accelerating from the arm itself right. but you're also augmenting that from energy from the lower half and when the arm is that slow it's a good sign you're getting neither it means right. your lower half isn't working and you're not accelerating from the arm but you had levers, you were an athletic guy, throwing 87, like doesn't make much sense. So right. I knew from the very start, like there's a lot that's not working here. Like there is so much low hanging fruit that we can attack just yeah. off the bat. But with you specifically, like you're def you've definitely been a learning experience for me because you're so hyper analytical. Is it, you know, some guys you can just give like, you could like mentally yip them up all you want and they're still yeah. gonna go out and compete. And then other guys, it really forces you to improve your coaching craft by like not giving guys seven cues at a time, not giving them five cues at a time. Like we're going to focus in a very methodical way. We're going to be aware of like where your attention and your intentions and your focus is. Um, so that's really forced me to become better at my craft, working with someone who's like the tendency is to be really analytical and self-critical and all that. Yeah. So speak to like, what would you say to, you know, for, for pitchers who, feel like they're in that they have a tendency to be really analytical right and like they're on the mound and they're just like their natural state is to want to overthink how have you begun to overcome that over time how have you learned to kind of harness that how has that process evolved from like two three years ago i think just obviously once i knew what i was capable of i think obviously still i was like i want more and then i think just being able to like separate your training into different increments where you're just essentially focus on one thing. Like I think my warm up throws right now are like, hey, let's go to the mound. I can think about my mechanics here. I have the net in front of me. Like, let's just aimlessly like, I'm gonna think about my hip hinge or I'm gonna think about my arm on plane. And then at that point it's like, okay, now I go to my catch play and I can think about the way my ball spins coming out of my hands or this, but now I'm not thinking about my mechanics. And then I think by the time it gets to the mound, we even have some days where it's like, okay, let's think about this one thing. But I think now when I get to the mound, my only thought can be, how can I get this guy out? We've even run into issues kind of lately of like, oh, my slider's not moving quite the way I want it to. And you've told me like, I don't care what your slider's moving at, how can you get guys out with that slider that day? Sure, you can evaluate after of, hey, let's try and get it back to where it's at. But I think something that I was talking to someone about this other day, even as much as I've seen myself grow, I've also seen you grow as a coach in terms of what you valued and stuff. And I think now that we have a lot of big leaguers in here all the time. And I think you and other coaches and me especially have gained insight of like, 
all they care about is how am I going to get as many outs as I can? I'm not going to give up as few runs as I can. Like the velo matters, the spin matters, all the stuff matters. But by the time they step in the box, how can I get outs? Right. And I think I've seen that now. It's like, hey, all this stuff is definitely pieces to how I get outs. But I think when I get on the mound, I can't be thinking about, hey, that was only 94. Why is it 96? Hey, my fastball's not carried when I want to. My sliders. It's just like, how do I compete and get outs? And so I think, I guess to answer your question, is just find ways to split up your training where you're thinking about one thing. And I think, especially when it's in season, take your couple minutes a day to work on your mechanic or to work on your spin. But then when it comes time to your bullpens, to your catch play, to be on the mound, like get outs. And I think it's just splitting up the things into different increments instead of trying to do everything at once. It's just not gonna work. Yeah, and, and even over the course of like a single day, like you're talking about, like me as a coach, like knowing at what points throughout the year we can have a mechanical focus and, you know, allow you to kind of think about what your pitch movement looks like or allow you to think about what the lower half is doing but then really graduating from that and hey, like this is a this is a time to focus on execution. Yeah. Like I will not show you the track my numbers during the bullpen. Like we will turn the LED board off. Yeah. We will put a hitter in there. The catcher's calling pitches. Like this is we're trying to make this as game like as possible right. once we get the mechanics in what we feel is a good state. And in a perfect world, like the mechanics are just always in a good state and right. you have those in place and you don't have to think at all and you're just in execution mode. But that's not necessarily always a realistic state. Like we can kind of get into this now, but you like you've uh, you've had ups and downs. Like, it's not like we just fix your mechanics and they're perfectly fixed forever. Right. Like, there are times when they fluctuate where you're throwing 92 again, things are a little bit out of whack again after you come back from the season. And we do have to go th into this, like, mini rebuilding phase where there is a little bit more thinking that we would necessarily want right. until we get you in a spot where, you know, you're able to throw 94, 95, 96 again. Right. But, again, as soon as we possibly can, the goal is to get you away from any sort of internal thinking whatsoever and yep. for me to get you into execution mode not worry about the led board not worry about the velo numbers um, maybe not even have the radar going on for certain bullpens right um, so that's that's certainly been like a an interesting challenge for me as far as how to how to tame like the natural tendency because i'm very much the same way yep. as an analytical minded guy and also i've got athletes that they're not the you know they're not the brightest bulb necessarily and they don't have all these thoughts running through their head and they they throw a bad slider and their first thought isn't like hey, how can I change my thumb position? Or that was 11, negative 11 vert. I need that to be negative five. Like, that's not going through their brain. It's right. just like, oh, threw a bad pitch, next pitch. Right. So like almost putting you more in that mentality of like the pitcher who doesn't think as much, um, even though you are like naturally that intelligent guy. Um, I guess one question I had for you is during that, that kind of COVID summer where we fully rebuilt everything that first time, you went from 87 to 88 to like, 94, the 95, the 96, and then you, I think you hit 97, eight or something, so, somewhere over that, like that um, end of the summer, early fall, and then you took that into fall as well in games. Um, could you kind of describe like the difference for someone who might be like upper 80s right now, like what is the difference in feel between, that's almost a 10 mile an hour jump right. in velocity. I, obviously you've been up to 93, 94 in the past, but what is the difference in how those mechanics feel 97 versus 88? Right. You could articulate that. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, even when I signed up, I was just hoping to get back to where I was. I was like, okay, give me to 92, 93, and I'm good. And all of a sudden, the training came, and it was like, hey, my arms really turned on. Like, I'm throwing balls 84, 85, 86 without even using my feet at all. Like, just sitting there ripping, and I was like, okay. So we went to the flat ground and started kind of ripping balls flat ground. And first one, I think, was like 90, and then all of a sudden, I climbed, and it was 92. And I think just 
the more I started throwing, the more comfortable and confident I felt. And I think just feeling really confident, like my first few throws of the day, I'm like, wow, the ball's coming out really good. And I mean, everyone I think has those days where like, it just feels really good. And then it got to the point that I used to drive Cody insane. Cause I'd be like, hey, my fly ground, I'm gonna hit 95 next week. And he's like, no, you're not. And then all of a sudden I go do it. And it's just like, I could feel and catch play so confident and so comfortable on my throw. Ball just zips out like, at any given time, I could sit there and be like, I'm going to throw this ball 83, and like, it just whips out. It didn't take a lot for me. And then, especially, same thing in the mound, I told Cody, I was like, oh, I'm going to go hit seven in my first bat. He's like, no, you're not. Like, stop talking about that. And all of a sudden, it's like, I just go to the mound, and my first throw is like 92. And I'm like, yep, like, here we go. So I think just the difference was, I always felt like a lack of confidence when I was 87, 88. And it wasn't that I was upset so much with 87, 88, it's that I felt like I knew I had more. And I felt like I wasn't being my best self. And then all of a sudden, when I was throwing hard, I was like, okay, this is who I'm supposed to be. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be throwing. So I think a lot of it was just confidence. And I think that was instilled by you. That was instilled by my friends. That was instilled by myself of just like, hey, each given day, like I get out there and I started feeling better every day. Yep. So I think just the confidence and my ability was really the difference in how my mechanics. Yeah, that's an interesting answer because obviously a part of it is the actual like biomechanics, yeah. the the, the joint angles and positions and the timing and the, the sequencing the tempo like part of it is that like, your elbow not being down here anymore and being in plane right like you're actually getting a, a hinge in your lower half better weight shift but, but part of it like to hear like you know that perception from you is like it's it's confidence it's not uh as, like as you started to feel the patterns sink in a little bit more and more and more and more um, that might explain for you why like your tendency is so like whatever you are that first or second bullpen once we do get on the mound like it's pretty much like a mile an hour a week Yep. You know, up until you get to that peak point as you just get more and more and more comfortable and confident in those patterns. Yep. So I know it's been it's been interesting to see now now that we are in like a good place mechanically, you've gotten, you know, back to mid nineties in this most recent pro day and like just you know, the mental clarity and comfort of knowing like it's there, I still have it. Yeah. Like I don't have to worry about my mechanics positionally. I can worry just about execution, you know, attacking hitters. Like that can that can be the focus now that it's not in yep. the back of your mind like crap where is my velo going to be here is my velo going to be here right. and the focus can now shift to where it really should be where ideally we have it all of the off season like in a perfect world you're not working about worrying about velo at all because you just know it's going to be there yeah so um one of the things i think people don't necessarily realize is that once you build velocity that like we're talking about it's not just like there forever yeah like certainly dads that we see don't realize this yeah they, you know they're They'll say, oh, my kid throws 87. It's like, no, your kid throws 82, 83, and he hit 87 at some random showcase one yeah. time. And maybe he, like in bullpens, he throws 82, 83. And so they, they don't necessarily like realize that just because you hit a number one time, like it means that you throw that hard. Right. Um, there actually is a, a real process of like not taking it for granted once you do build that velocity for the first time. And in your case, you know, you ended up coming back after that, that next season, you were back down to 1991. Like, you lost that confidence. You lost that, you know, everything that you had that fall. Right. Um, and then the following year, again, we built you back to 96, 97. And then again, the following year, um, you were, we were Texas, which we can talk about. Uh, had a strong start to the year. And then again, came back like 92, 93, like down below confidence, uh, low again. Yep. Speak to that process because from the outside looking in a lot of players just think that that velo is always there like oh it's that just that guy's genetically blessed they see a guy throwing 97 he's genetically blessed he's got a naturally quick arm right or the parent just thinks that or my kid throws 87 he's gonna always throw 87 for the rest of his career 
what has that been like going through kind of the roller coaster? And could you kind of speak to some of those ups and downs that you've had over the course of off season to in season over the past couple of years? Right. I think a lot of it has been obviously my whole focus was velo, and then like I feel I end up feeling like almost like rushed into the season. It's like all right, the season's here now. It's like kind of like I talked about changing my focus, and then I just stopped thinking about the velo altogether, and then. So I guess I went through it, it was that. Unfortunately, that was the kind of COVID year. You had a lot of stuff going on. I ended up getting COVID. I ended up losing weight. Probably didn't maintain like I should too. And then I think that was kind of the first year of losing Velo. It was just like, hey, like I took two weeks off from like doing the things I really need to do. And I went from, hey, I could hit 96 any given today to like, I'm screaming balls 92. And I don't know why. Like if I was hitting 92, 93 in games, it's like, all right, like we're in the right direction. Which, if you would ask me literally three weeks ago, I'd have been like, oh, that stinks. And so I think it's just, if you don't do the things you need to do on a really given basis and don't know what you're doing, then like it can disappear. So I think that was the first year. We built it back, went into Texas, and fall sustained it. Fall was good, and I think that's just because the lack of pressure and stuff like that. I still felt pretty confident. It was like, I was known as like, hey, I'm going to be a power arm. I'm going to throw balls really hard. Going into the early in the season, like I threw pretty well. Walks were still not where I wanted them to be, but like I felt confident when I was doing. And I think I kind of ended up realizing that I need to find a way to go deeper in games. And so I need to kind of be more of a command guy. And I think instead of just being happy with who I was and working on my mental side of, hey, let's go attack hitters. Instead of kind of, I think I was like, oh, I play at Texas. I play against all these big team teams. We played UCLA, we played Tennessee, we played LSU, all these big teams. And I, I'd been scared, I think, a lot of times. So was, hey, I need to throw this ball like down and away and hard or I'm gonna get hit. And I think just knowing that, hey, I'm a big stuff guy. Like I can go right at you. If I throw it middle, middle, it doesn't matter. Like obviously I'm gonna try to throw the ball outside or inside or up or down. But I think the lack of confidence there kind of got me. And then the more scared I got, the more the velo went down, the more I started changing things and just completely losing my identity of who I was, trying to be someone that I just was not, trying to be a command guy, like I'm gonna pitch to this exact spot. And I think that was just myself, eating myself up, obviously, like it's easy to point fingers everywhere, but like looking back on it, the fingers should be pointed at me. It's, I wanted to change too many things. I wanted to do something that wasn't there. Our coaches even talked about, kind of you talked about how to separate stuff being over the rubber or being over the plate. And I found myself over the rubber way too much, thinking about my mechanics, thinking about the stuff I needed to do compared to just being confident, like I can go beat this guy. And luckily I had the joy of meeting Tulo out there and Tulo talked about the mental game. Coach Pierce was huge on the mental game. Coach Allen was huge in trying to just instill my confidence of like, hey, your stuff's really good. Like we can work on this stuff and still be really good. And unfortunately I did the opposite of what most of them told me of just, hey, like, that guy's trying to take something from me. Like, every batter who steps in the box, he's taking food off my table. He's taking something from me, and I've got to go out there and just beat that guy each given day and be confident that I can do that. And I think I just fell way too much in my head, being way too analytical, trying to do way too many things compared to just being myself and getting out. So, I mean, it's obviously every offseason I wish that I could work on a new pitch or work on my command or work on sequencing, stuff like that. But unfortunately, I get... I've allowed myself to get really in my head of, hey, let's change all this stuff in season compared to let's just get sides out. And so my goal this year is to come back still 
94, 95, have a really good year this year with the Giants, have a really good offseason next year, and actually work on stuff we want to work on. Do you feel like you've learned, uh, you've learned in, in yourself that when you start to get into that spiral, not to use mechanics as an excuse or not to start searching from the mechanic side? Like maybe there's a mental process that needs to happen and some, some adjustments need to happen mentally or with the focal point or with the aggressiveness. Um, but you've also, you know, made either intentionally or unintentionally some mechanical changes each year as well. As you kind of get into that process, the confidence starts to drop a little bit, maybe a couple of bad outings. And now it becomes like, okay, do I need to change my glove arm? Do I need to change my back leg? Do I need to change this, that, this? Um, what, have you, what have you learned now as you head into this season about, about changing your mechanics in season? Is that something where it's like, you're just gonna stay away from that as far as you possibly can, mm -hmm. and all those adjustments are gonna be more mental and approach driven? What have you learned mechanically? Yeah, I think it's, I've learned that the command, the velocity, all that stuff like isn't mechanical. It's almost entirely mental for me. And I think that it was like, whether I was told or whether I thought of myself, like if I'm throwing a ball 96, I'm probably doing a lot of things mechanically really well whether I'm super strong or whatever it is, if you're throwing a ball 95 plus, you're moving mechanically really well. And I think when my command wasn't there, I was like, oh, something about mechanics is wrong, which now looking back, like doesn't make a lot of sense. I was just trying to do too much with the baseball and trying to, like, I wanted to live fastball through this tiny, tiny hole compared to just mentally like, hey, let's just throw my stuff how it is. And so I think going into this year now, it's like, if I'm not commanding the ball, it's because I'm, mentally not where I need to be. Maybe I'm not working on the right things on a daily basis where I need to be. Compared to the past, it was like, hey, mechanically something wrong, let's change the left side, right. let's change the lower half, let's change the head. And it, it comes back to the trust too, and like that you've put in the work on your mechanics in the off season that, yep. hey, I'm gonna go into this season with the mechanics that I have. My focus is has to be 100% on attacking hitters at this point. Obviously there's there's big leaguers that will make subtle mechanical adjustments in season. Yep. It's not like it, you absolutely can't do it, but for certain guys with the tendency to like really overthink what's going on mechanically, like yeah. I'm just like, don't even, don't even open that door. Like no. that's just not, not the move. Um, so I think that's, that's been interesting for, for you and for me just evaluating, you know, you over the course of the past few years. Um, but what's interesting is like when you're in the right mental state, your mechanics tend to clean up more, more times than not. Yeah. When you're attacking hitters versus like, being tentative, like I can see that in your mechanics. I can see that in your posture, at your peak leg lift, you're holding yourself taller, your tempo is faster, more aggressive, your arm is on time because you're just trying to attack the hitter and throw the crap out of it versus like, there's almost like a tentative early deceleration, right? like careful patterns you're, when you're throwing 91 and there's the aggressive, like that's his 95 plus patterns. Yeah. So again, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Like do we, do we address the mental side and the, the intention or do we address the mechanical side? And a lot of times the mechanical side cleans up as long as you have like, the basic guardrails in place, which you're going into the season with those in place. Right. That'll clean up just by addressing the mental side. Yep. So I think, yeah, but yeah, like you said, it's just mentally, if I'm right, I'm aggressive, I'm moving fast, everything's right. And then for some reason, whenever my mental goes away, I look at mechanics, which you can see. And so then I'm like, oh, I got to change this compared to just like, hey, I know if I just tap back into my mental, my mechanics clean themselves up. And so I think that's where I'm at now compared to where I used to be. How do you think about taking feedback uh, like from coaches as an athlete or like coachability. Um, obviously you've had a bunch of different, like you've had, you know, me for several years, but you've also had various different coaches, a bunch of different, like, you know, perspectives and personalities in your ear over the last several years, playing for several different teams. Um, how is your perspective on like 
coachability or taking feedback from coaches shifted? Are you just like, I'm a blank slate, whatever anyone in a position of authority tells me, I'm going to do it. Are you now a little bit more cautious where it's like, I'll listen, but I'm going to filter that through my own kind of BS meter, maybe try it, but not commit to it just because my coach tells me to. Right. Um, how has that perception changed now that you have had some instances where, you know, feedback is, you know, given to you, it doesn't necessarily always lead to the outcome that you would want. Right. You could argue whose fault that is. Um, but that's happened several times now where, you know, things start to derail. Well-intentioned coaches give you feedback. Are you a little more cautious about letting too many voices, too many cooks in the kitchen at this point? Um, how, just talk me through that. Right. I think a lot of it, um, like I go into meeting the coaches and for some reason I already feel like I know the things I need to know. And I think some of the coaches have told me stuff and I'm really like brush it off. And I think every coach that I've had has something that can benefit me. But since I kind of shut things out or did shut things out, I think that was a little unfair of me to do to kind of all of them. And so I think when it came time to the changes I did end up making as a result of the Wellington stuff, I did it with just kind of the wrong perception in general. I was like, whatever, I'll do it just to like show you sort of thing compared to now I think looking back, it's more like, I think I can listen and really take in the things they're saying and then take my time to evaluate the things that they did say to make a better educated decision of, I've right. been through so many ups and downs of, hey, you told me this. And like, I think maybe a lot of times I could have just heard things wrong. It's like, if you tell me one thing about my lower half compared to Justin tells me one thing about my lower half, you could be telling the same thing in a different way. And it's just the way I perceive it can be taken the wrong way. So I think a lot of my career has been that. Um, but it, com it comes back to like, you need to be fully bought into any change that's made. You need to Correct. be on board. Whoever's working with you needs to be on board and it needs to be a collaboration versus like, you're just gonna either fully ignore him or you're gonna do what he says, but it's like, a, screw you, I'm just doing this to show you like you're wrong or like, right. I'm just doing this. Like, there it has to be a collaborative piece to it. Right. And then- I think it was my biggest flaw, unfortunately. And then not, not just doing something because someone tells you to. Like if I told you that we were gonna change your glove arm to like, you know, a Kenley Jansen glove arm, like in your bullpen tomorrow. Right. Like I would, I mean, you might just do it because I say, but like, I would right. hope that you would have a, some sort of filter to filter through that and be like, wait a second, that doesn't really make sense. Or can you like talk through why we would do that? You know, a day before I leave for spring training, like I think player, a lot of players don't, you know, they go into their first year of college or they go into their first spring training. And especially like the guys who like, they want to please people. They, they're, nice guys and yeah. they're just like want to do what they're told right and at some point you also need to learn to be your best coach and like every single piece of advice you're given is not going to work for you right like maybe a certain percentage will but i know for me at least like i went into uh i believe my first spring training specifically that i'm thinking about and there's a ton of coaches at spring training it's not just like the coach at your affiliate site it's like you have the low a coach the high a coach the double a coach the pitching coordinator, the AAA coach, they're all there walking around, they're watching you throw your bullpens, they're watching right. you in your lives. They all have something to say. And if you listen to every single thing that every single coach tells you to do, and you, you're just gonna constantly make changes all the time. Right. You're gonna have so many different coaches over the course of your career that there's just no way to not let that de Like, what if you have a great college coach and he takes another job and then you have a brand new guy come in and he tells you something completely different? Right. Are you just gonna let your career get completely derailed and right. completely change? you know, what your approach as a pitcher is because this guy has a new philosophy. So I think I've, I've seen that evolution in you to now, you have some understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Right. 
and it's not just like because this whatever coach you end up having this year right they're gonna have some information that's valuable they're gonna have some information that doesn't apply to you right and as long as you can be respectful and have that conversation with them and they can be respectful and have right. it back and forth then there's no issue right it's just when there ends up being a coach with an ego that says like it's my way or the highway and there ends up being a nice a nice kid without that experience yet Right. Like, I'm just going to do whatever you say because you must know everything because you're a coach. Right. Um, I don't like my athletes to be like that. Right. I'd rather they ask questions. I'd rather they be skeptical. I'd rather they say, why are we doing this? Or like, I'll try it for a bullpen, but like those first 10 pitches with it felt terrible. Like, I want to know that. If it right. feels terrible and the metrics aren't good, like, I'm probably not going to force through a change just because like, it's in my, it's my pitching philosophy. Right. So I just think understanding like the, the collaborative mindset from the co- it has to be there from the coach, but like yeah. the player also needs to understand that and like be willing to stand up for themselves yeah. at certain inflection points in their career right. when you just know something isn't isn't working for you. If you don't yeah. speak up, like you're you're allowing them to derail your career. Right. I think that's something that I've learned just from being here. Is you see some of the most successful guys in here pick a lot of brains, but it's they pick them knowing that like, hey, I can ask you something and you give me your genuine answer, and that doesn't mean I want to use it. And I think that that's something that's been hard for me was I had to look at a guy as like he knows the stuff or he doesn't compared to, hey, like, I don't think very many coaches are telling you things with bad intentions. Like everything I've ever been told is good intentions. I think that's what you said is being able to take what you say with a completely open mind and knowing like, hey, well, hey, that may be a good idea or hey, like maybe I shouldn't try that. And I think that's something that I benefit from here is I talk to Hunter every day practically about slider stuff or I talked to Cohen has been a vastly big help in terms of like hey if you know Cohen and the stuff that he wants to work with it's extremely helpful I think Justin Devin I mean the list goes on of any guy who I've picked their brain and picks take stuff from them but if I try to take every tried coach I've ever talked to and every college coach I've ever talked to and take all their ideas and combine it to one there's no way I can do right. that it's the, it's the difference between like blindly doing something because you just say like that guy must know everything right like that it's like some guru like I hate the term guru. Like, if anyone calls me a guru, I'm like, sh- literally shut up. Like, right. I'm never going to refer to myself as that ever. And, you know, you'll see these quote-unquote gurus out there where, like, all their followers are just like, you can't even question anything they say because it's like, well, he worked with XYZ. Big, right. Like, they're just like an untouchable thing. Everything they say is, is like golden. It's like, that's not reality. Right. But I think that comes into, like, we're all so different in so many ways. Like, Sure, I get called compared to Walker Buehler. To me, and like our hip anatomy can be different, our limb length can be different. There's so many things that we could do different that even if I'm trying to do a lot of things like him, just because he does it doesn't mean it works for me. And so I think right. whether it's, oh, hey, this works for this guy. So that's how exactly I'm going to teach you. Like, doesn't always apply. Sometimes it works, and it's great if it does, and it's great if I can make a small change and it yields the results I want. But a lot of times it doesn't work that way, and I think it's trial and error stuff and like I said open mind but at the same time knowing like hey Walker Buehler does this I'm going to try this wow that feels really bad right and not just completely buying into well he does it I'm going to do it right at the end of the day like you're you're allowing the the actual outcomes to dictate what you stick with right so in in theory like having this arm slot or this this leg lift or coming set this way like in theory we think that might help you or like let's test it right like the vertical shin thing, like, it looked pretty good. Like, the pattern looked good on video, yeah. but you were throwing 91. Right. So we had to re- recreate that back leg tension, that eye or dominant pattern, yeah. and get you back to 95. Yeah. So, like, at the end of the day, like, you have to let the outcome and the results and the metrics dictate and the data dictate, like, 
what actually works versus what doesn't right versus what we think in our our own little bubble and philosophy is supposed to work right um so i think i think that's just an important piece um i'll, I'll say like just to end on this like what would you what would you give as your main advice for young players out there like if you could go back in time talk to like the 15 year old daniel blair right like what would you tell him what would you tell him to maybe help him navigate the college baseball scenario a little bit better if he wants to get into pro ball um, maybe just be able to pitch on varsity like what would you tell him as far as how to navigate that process a little bit better i mean i think a lot of it that i've learned especially just from being here and being around so many minds and something that's increased my love for the game is part of like trying to help people and so i guess in terms of trying to help me a lot of it is just like telling people to just think I think a lot of people are kind of like say take everything so blindly and believe that like oh well this is that a lot of it just doesn't even make any sense and so I think a lot of the stuff that I've kind of gone through I'm like well what makes sense and what doesn't what has factual basis and what doesn't so I think I tell my young self to just like think like a lot of it isn't that hard hey if you want to get bigger you should probably eat more and lift more hey if you want to get more mobile you should probably just stretch more hey if you want to get better mechanics like let's find someone who knows what they're talking about, who has a record of improving people, who like is willing to, like you said, coach and work with me compared to just tell me this is how it's done. And I think a lot of that comes to just common, common sense. Nothing ever in life has worked one way and only one way. And so I think I would tell myself to just like, you're a smart kid. Let's, how can you become a smarter kid in terms of just use common sense to, baseball can be a simple game with a lot of complications put into it. So I think for anyone trying to just get better, it's like, hey, let's really think about everything that's told to me and let's evaluate it and personalize it to myself. If you tell me something, like whether it's writing it down in a notebook, thinking about it the rest of the day and really trying to, I think that's the only way you can get real buy-in is if you can convince yourself like, hey, that makes a lot of sense to me as well as to him, as well as to whoever else and kind of just using your brain. That's, I think, simple advice, but I think it's something that I have not used and a lot of people haven't used. I think I talked to Nixon at Texas, who I love to death, but a lot of like, I could tell him to like do backflips and spin in circles and make him throw a hundred and he'd be doing backflips and spin in circles just because I told him to, because I thought it worked. And I think that's the biggest change I thought I saw him take was just like, hey, I'm really gonna start thinking about the things I do compared to just blindly doing the things I'm told. Right, because, and it's like the double-edged sword of being intelligent and being analytical is yeah. on the one hand, it's it predisposes you to, like the natural tendency is to overthink when you're on the mound. Right. But it also allows you to have an appreciation, understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Right. And so I got to think to like a Trevor Bauer example, or like Pete Fairbanks example, like they're able to develop, like if you're able to really understand why you're doing what you're doing and then still be able to like hold the, the analytical thoughts and like hold all that stuff at bay when you're actually out there on the mound, like that's the, that's in my opinion, the best of both worlds. Yes, no you have to learn to harness all that overthinking and all those, you know, all that intelligence when you're on the mound, but it really becomes a benefit from the actual training standpoint, from the understanding, from yep. the learning a new pit. Like from that standpoint, it's a huge advantage. So it's not necessarily like, hey, we should all just be like dumb pitchers who don't think. Like, yeah, that's helpful on the mound, but long really term, if you can, long term, if you can be the guy who understands what you're doing and can really be uh, intentional about it, right. and you can also learn to hold your, hold that part of your brain at bay with through routine, mental routines, through through all the different stuff that we talk about through, you know, adjusting your focus and what you're trying to do and simplifying everything, you know, to me, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. So that's obviously what we've been trying to go after. And I'm just really excited that you finally kind of put it all together, have your first opportunity to play professionally. And, 
you know, excited to see what this season brings for you. Yeah, super pumped to get out there and finally feels like it's all put together and like I have a really good basis of had messed it up a couple times. Now I feel like I can not mess it up and really have a good season and hopefully a really good career. So it's always going to be a trial and error process. So yeah, for sure, we'll be here for you every step of the way. Awesome, appreciate it, man. Yep. All right, good to go. What was my troll question? I missed it. Oh no, I didn't do it because you already mentioned it. I said, has anybody ever told you that you throw like a Kmart Walker Bueller? No. Yep. But you already brought up tires on, bro. Thanks. <laughs> that was the first question Ross asked me. Or when Zombro introduced me to Ross, which is the giant scout who ultimately suggested, he was like, you know who you remind me of? I was like, Walker Bueller, and Zombro started dying laughing. I was like, well, he calls me Kmart Walker Bueller, so. Zombro is the ultimate troll, like you wouldn't necessarily know it. He is. But he loves him controlling. <laughs>